Wholeness, welcome. This is Josh Dippold of IntegratingPresence.com. Today I've got Wendy Nash with me. Wendy, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. Before I start, I just always like to do two things. The first one is to say thank you very much for having me on your show. And also is and also I like to recognize all the work that goes in it. So we are not just solitary little islands off on our little venture. It didn't just happen in this moment. You know, you've got a program, you've had previous programs, we've been chatting a little bit a couple of times, and there's a lot of thought about, well, what is going to work for the community, what the audience, how are people going to understand this? There's a lot of prep work, you know, we've both got equipment, and uh, there are there are a number of people that kind of are in the background of this. You know, this isn't my first interview. It's not your first. And there are people who have helped me set up my equipment. So there's a lot of people in the back, my partner who supports me in my business. So I just really like to acknowledge that um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the back so that, you know, your audience can really have something that they find of value. So I really like to, to appreciate I'm glad you pointed that out. It often goes overlooked. Overlook. This is the fun part, right? After this is over, then all the, the extra work begins, right? So this is sure. the really cool part. But yeah, people don't see the behind the scenes and all the stuff involved in it. It, it, it's, uh, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Sure. So, so the other thing, just uh, the other please, thing I like to no. do, sorry to cut you off, is no. I always like to um, acknowledge that I'm calling from Aboriginal land. So I'm in Queensland and there is a tradition in Aboriginal cultures to to acknowledge the country you're, you're on. Um, and what that does is it, it sets it to you can't know who you you can't know who you are unless you know where you are and who came before you. And the and the people in Australia have been living here for 70,000 years. So that's 70,000 years. That's a long time. And for some bizarre reason, Australia, like the US, is called the New World. And I'm like, really? I think they need to take a bit of a look in the, the mirror there <laughs> because here it's $70,000 and there's just been all this crafting and thinking and looking at how the land and the animals and the spirits all come together to, to in this moment. And so it's not until you know where you've come from, how it, we got here, that we see where we are, how we got here, and where we're going, and how we can get there. And of course, everything happens in this moment. So whatever arises is here, and in this moment, and we have in this moment, setting that tone. But I think it's really important to recognise that elders have crafted the world here in Australia and um, made it very livable for a long time. So I always like to recognise that I'm on Gubby Gubby country. It's a beautiful practice. And I remember um, when I tune into Bonte Sujato's <laughs> Zoom yeah. things, he does the same thing. And I yep. that might have been the first time I heard it. No, probably. But how important that was. And I just think... You know, with all the different hardships and sufferings of the Native uh, communities and peoples here in the States, how lovely if we would adopt the same practice here in the States. 
because of all the this atrocities and genocide and you know here in Missouri there used to be a huge population especially in St. Louis they they tore down a lot of the mounds here um, there's still Cahokia mounds not too far away which is a World Heritage site but then of course there's the Trail of Tears where they're pretty much all driven out of the state of Missouri and to reservations more west so there is no that I know of any uh, Indian reservations native people reservations here in the state and I really don't know the reasoning behind that but uh it it is a lovely acknowledgement right and but i, that, I think that's one definition of compassion too is acknowledgement yeah um and uh there's a and mm-hmm. compassion that's a whole other topic oh, you know. know we i'm sure you and i could have a long conversation no, about sure. compassion you know what is pity what is idiot compassion what is enabling these are all versions what they call near enemies of compassion you would know this um, and I like the term near enemy because they look so like compassion, yep. but are they really, you know? The best definition um, I ever heard about compassion is that we are in it together, you know? And I, and, and I like that we are not coming from above or below, pity, whatever. We're just in it together. I've got to... I've, yeah. It's, as so, long as, as long as you're not suffering in it together, right? You know, not not overwhelmed. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's really That's important, important to not be overwhelmed, point, right? Yeah, because then but there's just if, more people that are in the crap. You know what I mean? So yeah. yeah. But if you want to change it, well, you've got this radio program, this podcast series. You can actually do that. I love that. You touch base with your you yes. you touch base with the local community. You might find that um, what is the best way to do it. What's the protocol? Uh, it's really important to make sure that you follow the correct protocol for, for that. We have a lot of stuff here, um, whether you, it's First Nations or do you, we don't use the word, for instance, reservations anymore because that's, yeah, we use communities and sometimes people use tribes. Anyway, but I always leave it up to the, it's, it's important to use the language because that's it so, is. you know, we wanted to talk about listening and we and we think about um, listening. Yeah, uh, language, the words that we use are really pivotal to how well we can listen. So maybe that's the place that we start. That is, yes. Before we do, though, let, just yeah. give people a brief background. Like, who, who are you and what do you do? So we're coming at this. It's not, I guess, that important, but I, I, I feel it's um, it's a way to honor and respect you and to show value and validation to, to, to your work you. because I really appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, uh, so I I basically crashed and burned a lot of my life. So um, I had a lot of very difficult early life circumstances. Both my sister and my father died when I was a child of terminal illnesses, 10 years apart. There was a lot of death. I was bullied a lot. There were other stuff going on. My, you know, like you can imagine, it's pretty chaotic. I changed schools all the time. So I failed at school. I wasn't good at sport. I wasn't good academically. I didn't feel loved at home, I guess. Um, and I wasn't popular. So I sort of had no avenue to go down. Um, but I was miserable and um, I was deeply traumatized. I have what I now see as complex PTSD. And so it took a long time to work through a lot of that stuff. And I was trying lots of therapists. And finally, I got to therapist number 19. And she really got what is complex PTSD and the nature of the the pain that I was in. And she really understood it. And she said, 
you are so wound up like a clock, you need to take up meditation. She is a very strong Zen practitioner. And I did, and I was also trying to understand myself, and I was doing a, a psychotherapy training. So I did that. It was a four-year, very immersive psychotherapy. <laughs> it was theory in theory, but boy, you kind of really, it's like, you know, those encounter weekends that you get, imagine that over two, over four years is kind of like everything gets broken in that point. I also did a psychology degree and I did that on meditation, loving kindness meditation and pro-social behavior uh, using social identity theory. Um, so that's kind of where I came from. Um, I did, I've been meditating for about 20 years. I was really angry and hurt. You know, PTSD, one of the manifest common manifestations for that is anger. And that's exactly what I was like. And I was crushing and burning all my relationships. And I just didn't know what to do with this anger. I thought I was completely justified. And it didn't seem to be getting me happier. It didn't seem to be getting anything better. And I just, I kind of was at my wit's end. My ex-husband walked out. We hadn't been married for long, but we had been together for about six years. I thought I had all my shit together. And then, well, clearly I was absolutely wrong about everything, actually. So everything was up for grabs. Everything was going to be evaluated. I was kind of boring for a long time there in my kind of self-absorbed kind of trying to understand it. But my big curiosity was narcissism. How does narcissism, what is narcissism? We talk about ego and all that sort of stuff. But also how, how, so how the mind is. And, but, but when I was a kid, I was walking along the street in, in the suburb that I lived in and there was a church and on the side and my family's atheist and it said, Jesus loves everyone. And I thought, I am deeply unloved. I never want anybody to feel like I do. Jesus is one person. I'm one person. I'm going to find a way to love everybody. So that was kind of the catalyst. And I had all this rage and confusion and hurt, and I didn't understand anything. But I guess that one thing kind of was a rudder somewhere deep in the basement of my psyche that has really only come to fruition now much later that I've understood the impact of that particular event on my, that insight that I had in my life. Um, and so I guess that's my goal is to find a way to love everybody and what to understand my own limitation and also to understand what does it mean? What does love mean? What does like mean? I wanted to be liked because um, nobody seemed to like me. So I was just, I want to be liked and I want to be loved. And it was sort of there that I, I started, you know, I didn't start from um, a great, you know, I guess you, you don't do this work unless you're completely desperate. <laughs> so I guess desperation is where I started. Yes. We talked about maybe not using Dharma words, but the Dukador, that's where I came through to, you know, the suffering at wit's end, rock bottom, you know desperate oh beyond desperate and it's just i can just look back and think that's probably one of the greatest gifts i was ever given now you know ironically it's it, with the golden question what if the worst things that ever happened to us were the greatest gift we've ever been given but but, but, you, mm-hmm. but you know the thing about that i look at my family and you presumably have brothers and sisters as well uh, one brother yeah other people in the family what I'm always curious about well this was my journey but nobody else in my family is interested we have our lives have not been that that different and so 
other people, you know, their lives might hit rock bottom, but they're not going to go down this path. That's and right. so I think it, it's actually something about our character and our disposition that makes us curious to be to do that. And I have a spiritual teacher and he says, actually, you kind of have no choice in the matter. So I think it's an interesting, it sort of raises the question about free will. Now, we didn't want to go into that sort of conversation, but I, I do think it is really important to acknowledge that not everybody is a willing party in change and not everybody, actually I was talking about it with my partner this morning, you know, in order to build a bridge for listening and understanding, both sides, both shores need that pylon at the either end in order to have the foundation to meet in the middle. So you can't just build a bridge from one side and take full responsibility for the whole relationship. The other party does have to come forward to an extent and at least show willing, honest, honest willing, and then and then it can come forward. But you can try, and if somebody's not even able to acknowledge that they are unable, they may not be. They may have willing, but they may not be able. So I think it's really important to recognize because I think you know I've spent times in my life where I've tried to really work on these communication and getting a relationship good and healthy and all the rest and actually it just became an exercise in my own torture to a great extent and it crashed the other relationship the other person's the relationship yeah and not in intimate relationships here but it it seems like it can go the other way they're 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 able but they're not willing to right i I learned this the hard way was uh that i just can't talk about certain things around certain people at certain times you know, and no matter how much I want to, uh, they if they don't want to hear me or have anything to do with it, well, then it would just to our mutual uh, detriment for me to keep on a certain thing, right? So there's certain people that we can only really share and, and talk about certain things with. So much to pick up on here, too. If we do have any kind of free will, I would think it would be in how we view things and how we respond to things, right? Because obviously we can't control everything that happens to us. I mean, that's kind of silly. Yeah, and we learned that control is like what did I read recently? That control is just kind of like a like a belief that we've been we've been holding for so long, and that really struck true to me because I have this policy or not policy. Well, maybe it's a policy of like you know I don't really need to believe or disbelieve anything. If I take something as information, well, then there's not that emotional charge that comes with having to believe something or disbelieve it, right? So if I take things as information, well, then uh, what's helpful is like more like light as a feather. And then it can easily be let go of, or I can just pick up other feathers when I come with information. I don't have to, because when people's uh, beliefs are shattered, they've invested so much emotion into those beliefs that it's hard to let go of that belief a lot of times when faced uh, with truth, right? Right. Um, I also want, yeah, that, there's enough so, there to pick up on. Yeah. We have, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we're we, we, get into I think, thing, you but. know, like, I think you and me, we could have like a yeah. hundred thousand discussions oh, and we would totally. never run out. Like, I think we're both quite chatty people and we like to play around uh-huh. with the ideas and all that sort of stuff. So, so I think we let's stick to, to listening because that's where we kind sure. of. <laughs> 
Let's like keep, keep Let that. me wrap up the quick loose ends, though. The PTSD okay. thing, I just wanted to say, it fascinates me because it seems like a lot of the other stuff and techniques and ways of relating just doesn't really apply to folks with PTSD. And so I'm really, I haven't gone out of my way to like study that specifically. So that's one thing that really fascinates me too. And I can just tell your loving kindness is amazing. The, the practice, the, the depth of your practice, it just seems... Maybe we can talk about that some other time, but it just it shows so well. And then I just want to mention Wendy's the name of her site. It has to be mentioned by me, at least. <laughs> Kindly cut the crap. Okay, so this can be d- done on so many different levels. But the one that resonated with me was when you're approaching someone who's not authentic, right? And, and you don't have to be a, a jerk about it, right? So kindly cut the crap. That's exactly right. So it's really about cutting away from the extraneous. So I thought a long time, well, not a long time, you know, you know, a little bit of time about what would I call the business. And I am a very direct person, but I have been brutally honest and brutal is the right word. And that is not kind. And I had to learn kind of like I look at my partner and he's such a lovely man. And I'm not that. uh, That just didn't come naturally to me. I had to work it, you know, and I do want to, I learned just because people are very interested in PTSD. I was listening to a talk the other day about PTSD and actually the pandemic and people are traumatised from... So normally uh, PTSD, I just want to very quickly put this in for your listeners. Please. Um, PTSD, the way this fellow talked about it was the lack of capacity to forget. So we have, we remember, and we talk a lot about, oh, I wish I had a really good memory, but we actually need to be able to forget and PTSD is not having a good function for forgetting. And I thought that was very useful. They talked about the way that they do, there's a special kind of PTSD that's arisen from the pandemic because normally you would be able to resolve PTSD through laughter and connection. That's actually how it, trauma relinquishes. But you couldn't do that during the pandemic because we were all like unable to have physical contact with anybody and many people just completely withdrew. So I thought that was a very, I've been looking at PTSD for a long time and I thought that was a very refreshing way of looking at PTSD. Um, my own, my own, I'll just put this for people who, who have this work, done lots and lots of different work. And the only thing that personally has worked really well for me is something called EMDR. So this, yes. Yeah. So I won't go into that. That sure. this is not the time and the place. But uh, if people are listening and they want to find out what does work, that's the one. And also to see a psychologist and a psychotherapist. And a good adjunct is loving kindness meditation for oneself to learn that it is a slow it's a practice. It's slow. It just it takes a lot of observation of one's own limitations and capacities to and it it just takes time it took me maybe 10 years to to stop being so angry and actually uh, I've been with my partner for two years and last year I got really angry at him and I did the thing that I always did and he just went wow like I just silenced him and that with the kind of language that my mother used with me in the kind of way and um so um I just reenacted that and I was like, wow, that was well. I was so well. And I think, you know, the thing about relationships and, and conversations is we think that there are deal breakers in relationships. There's no choice about it. But going back to the question of conversation, 
Actually, you can say pretty much anything to anyone as long as that is kind, sincere, truthful, unpolitic, non-gamey, no trickiness. But you've got to be absolutely 100% um, from the heart, I want to say. And, I mean, I work with clients um, with their meditation practice, so I'm trying to get people to, to, to start a meditation practice so they feel resourced to in their own daily lives. It takes about 18 months to get a, a daily practice up and running. But I was talking with somebody the other day and, and somebody said, oh, you know, her boss had said, oh, you know, you're unhappy. And she was like, oh, I'm unhappy. And so we just worked it. And, and I just, so this is what I do with, with clients. And I say, well, how about you just say this silently to yourself, you know, I feel unhappy. Yes, it's true. I feel unhappy. And she did that. And then I said, how do you feel? And she said, I feel whole, actually. And, and I'm no longer kind of held back by the denial, trying to flip out of that, dismiss that. So there is something very important about remaining sincere to oneself um, in that. So the conversation with another person is as much about the conversation that we have with ourselves. Absolutely. You know, because a lot of times we can't really tell if we say something out loud, even if it's a script, it's hard to tell if another person wrote it or not. We just hear those words, right? Uh, when we speak them. But yeah, that it really resonated uh, that yes, that that self honesty is a form of self love. And a lot of it, it surprises me how many people aren't honest with themselves, right? And when you get, when it comes down to that, like when I was trying to do these I love you's to my own heart, at first it was like, well, this is sappy. This doesn't feel right. You know, this is this is a little too much. And But that's actually self-honesty, right? And so that is actually a form of self-love too. And I just want to pick up about, you know, um, <laughs> I do similar things like – or. It's great. Usually when I'm kind of pressed for time and it comes right out of the blue and I'm not expecting certain situations, then the tendency is still there, fairly decent, to revert into past patterning that I had thought I had resolved or integrated, right, and I, or at least changed. But then I find myself going like that. Sometimes it's a little extreme, Um I won't go into examples right now, but some of the <laughs> circumstances are kind of ex extreme, so I have to, well, maybe for me, maybe not for some people, but I guess, but uh, to give myself some slack there too and forgive myself and start again. Yeah. Totally. And I think there is some Navy phrase or something and it says you, uh, in time, when times are difficult, you go, you don't fall back to the level of your training, you fall back to the level of your practice or something like that. I can't remember the term. Somebody can look it up. But, um, and I think that's why we practice. That's why it's not a one, you don't read it and then it's done. You read it and then you have to sit there going, so how am I going to apply when someone's being really horrible? So I had a situation and talking about listening. So we, my partner and I moved up about two months ago um, from one state to another and we hired the van and the van, it turns out, was pretty dodge. And it's, there's been quite a lot of floods. I don't know if you're aware, there's been a lot of flooding in, in this area. And the roads were full of potholes. And we actually have quite good quality roads. Um, but it was like, kunk, kunk, kunk. and uh, the wheel, I don't know what they call it, the bar or I don't know, some wheel Axle thing. Or... I don't know, whatever it was, it kind of broke, snapped off. So one wheel was going straight ahead and the other wheel was going to the side. 
So that's, you know, apparently the mechanics were like, you're lucky to be alive. So there you go. My partner was driving, fortunately, at the time, and he was very skillful. Um, so we were stuck in this town, didn't know anyone. It was a Saturday. Of course, we a bit shocked by that. And the mechanic, you know, nothing was going to happen with the van until Monday. And then we got to the van on Monday and the part came in on, she said, oh, it'll be Thursday, you'll get it. In the end, we got it on Wednesday. So we're going, okay, well, what are we going to do for a couple of days? You know, we've got nowhere to go. We haven't got anything. We haven't got a, we can't go sightseeing. We can't do anything. We're just in this two pot town, you know. But it was the week before the election. And, and in Australia, voting is compulsory. And many Americans really arc up at that. But I just want to put a vote for compulsory uh, voting because if when everybody has to vote, you don't have to try and encourage people to vote. So that's already done. And it's a legal requirement for the government to ensure that everybody votes. So you don't have these shenanigans to the same extent in the way that you do in the US. So I just put a vote there for mandatory voting. Um, so and everybody has an opinion about the government and they have to unless they're not a, um, not eligible to vote and then they dip out. But um, I had I sort of came to this place of asking questions and um, and I said, who do you think will get in this weekend? Because we vote on Saturday. Who do you, if you had a magic wand and your favourite party could get in or your favourite person, who would it be? Do you believe in climate change? Do you believe it's real? And what is the main issue with climate change? Now, they're quite divisive questions. And I, I just came with it and I just said, look, there's all these polls and stuff. I really, I don't, I've done, I've had to do some telemarketing and find out what the polls are. So I know how dodged they are. So I just want to hear from people. What do you think and what is important to you? And I want to understand more. And I became very curious. Now, I'm, I'm trained to ask questions and hear uncomfortable things. So I know how to not get wrapped up in the answer and to just let things slide. But I heard racist comments. I heard people deny climate change. I heard people be very derisive about others. I heard people um, speak against my own political persuasion um, in very derogatory ways. I heard people talk about people in very unpleasant ways. It was very, but, I, you know, the way that the, I've, so one of the best questions to ask for an open question is, tell me more about that. So I was just like, oh, so tell me more about that. And then um, the next one is, what I hear you care about is, so that's a really good question. This is how to ask open questions. What I hear you care about is, and that took me, I only learned that question last year. And that, that helps you listen, not for the feeling, but for what is the, what is their central uh, uh, yearning here, actually, that they have care, they care about something. Even Putin would care. It's good so, so what do they care about? And then you go, oh, what's your sense of thing? How do you feel about that? What are your thoughts about that? So they're the questions to ask. And the questions to not ask are ones that begin with why. Why do you think that's true? Why did you do that? Why did you, you know, so, so don't ever start a question with what. Huh. And don't start a question with do you think or would you say because they are closed questions that are loaded and it's not about my, it's not about the spe- the 
It's the questioner's agenda, yeah, not the you're leading. A, a them, resp- yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a yeah. leading question. And the other one is so not don't start with do, and the other one is don't start with is or are, and because they are also closed questions, and they are also about. And there's something also what they call shifting and supporting language. The difference. So shifting language is where you say, "I went on retreat yesterday," and I went da 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 da, and I said, "Oh well, I've been on retreat with him too." And you know, we did this one, you know, and it was really amazing. And we talked about this, and we talked about that, and then we went over here, and I went over there, and I've done retreats over here, and I've done retreats over there. So that's shifting language because you've started, you've broached a conversation, and then all of a sudden, it's all about me. What do you think about me? That's enough about. Me? What do you think about me? You know, so. Uh, but supporting language is to go. Well, you're on retreat, so tell me more about that. So that's so that's that. I think what I understood about listening for a long time was how much the question syntax was essential. And if you just follow those rules, you can have a very very open conversation. Very very open conversation, which stops this kind of divisive thing. Happening. So, what was really interesting about uh, listening, asking? I asked about twenty people. My partner was a bit like, oh, but it was quite a good conversation topic for the two of us about what could we learn. And, um, and what was clear is that it didn't matter where they were far right or far left or centrist or wherever they sat on the political spectrum, um, whatever racist language they used. What they were really interested in was that society was good for everybody. So they use terms about uh, First Nations people here. But there's no way that those people would like First Nations people to live in poverty. But they just, they blamed the people for their situation. That is that is what we do. You know, we blame people for their troubles. Um, and it's a kind of a way that we separate from our culpability. There is a sense of shame that we feel that we live well and others don't and we separate from our own emotions and so we need to instead of just being pejorative about those people over there those racist people over there we need to what I have found works for me is to own the emotion that I'm seeking to separate from to deny from my reality uh, my sense of shame and guilt about why do I live well and other people live in poverty with um, abuse, alcohol, drugs, all that. And once I've done that, then I start to have a much more whole and round experience. Of, then the conversation doesn't become about us and them. It yeah. remains I am connected to my own feelings. And when I'm connected to my own feelings and I, I listen to my own feelings and, you know, I remember in therapy just going, I'm a fucking bitch. And just having to own that and understand how horrible I I was and once I did meditation yeah you can do it in any way but to really own actually the one common denominator in all our relationships is yes wow so many points here Wendy to pick up okay (laughs) so I just wrap up there I mean not wrap up but yeah sure Uh, so I think I think. The, oh, the, I meant just what you're saying. That's right. We're um we're we'll probably wrap this up pretty fairly soon here too. But what were you saying? I cut you off. Sorry. That, that's okay. So I just want to say the main thing is to be curious, to come with a place of curiosity in your own internal. What is going on here? What am I not seeing about this? What's the underlying emotion here within my own world? And how, what are its underlying emotion in all these thoughts? 
And then, you know, I feel hurt, hurt. Yes, it's true, I feel hurt. And then once we own that, then we, yeah. So that's, that's, that's all I want to say. So Wendy threw out some, uh, I guess I could take them as provocative points here. Um, okay. I had a lot to respond to, but I don't think we have enough time. But I will address some of them. I want to say, though, that they're just being able to go up and ask, just talk with anyone. I found that so helpful because I've run in so many different circles. I mean, I've hung around street people, people with, uh, you know, considerable amount of challenges. And on, on the other end of the spectrum, people who have run billion dollar businesses and then everywhere in between. The one thing that's why that's a really good point. I would say, though, I don't want to give that up for self-inquiry and self-investigation into the mystery. I don't think I want to get hung up on it completely, though, with that either, because a lot of time could be wasted in doing that. I, I, I'm gonna, I know we've only got three minutes till we get cut out, yes. but I'm just going to say why I say why, why. Sure. I'm going to give you my reasoning for that. Why, why are you sitting in that chair? Oh, I love this. Yeah, like a five-year-old, and you can just keep saying why and why and why to everything. Exactly. I love it. It's because, okay, <laughs> so there was a TED Talk, and, it, no. and there are two things in there. There were two talks that I thought were completely brilliant. One of them, I can't remember what it was Hang called, on, but, but it boils said, down to love, usually. That's the last question, or that's the last answer. Right. Maybe, maybe, but with why, um, mm-hmm. actually, you can never get to the bottom. So, so the question then is how and what? That's what you ask instead. What were the steps? How did that arise? Where did that come from? Yes. I love so that too. Yeah. those three questions are good, but the why question, you can skip that one because, you know, yes. well, you know, there was the big bang and then this and that and all the rest. <laughs> And there was something else you said that I wanted to address, but I sure. forgot, and we've only got two minutes. Before. Oh, you, you well, so. let me, you, maybe you can. I just wanted to, uh, the racist thing. What I've noticed, I've noticed racist comments too, but I've also seen those same people who've made racist comments when they're in the presence of that race, they are not racist anymore. Like, at least my perception, like they get along, they talk fine. I mean, there might be, you know, underlying, but they, they seem to get along. Maybe it's just me there being there with them or something. I don't know, but it's interesting uh, that, and then... As far as my view of politics, maybe this is a cop-out and a bypass, but for me, it's an emotional con game. It's um, Most people get triggered out emotionally with any politics, no matter where you're at, and sometimes it almost seems like it's designed that way, to divide and conquer, but... Um, totally willing to be open to change that perspective. Uh, none, that, I don't want to write it all off with that, but it to me it does write off a lot of political things. But travel, I want to say, is a great opportunity for doing this. I do this when I travel all the time, is just talk to people. You know, I learned this from my mom really easily that she, while she can talk to every, she was a retired postmaster, she can talk to just about anybody, but she can also piss off about just about anybody yeah, too. Right. So Wendy, yeah. thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I'm going to give you the last word and please uh, remind people again how they can find you so uh the website is kindlycutthecrap.com um most people remember that with name and there's a contact box if you're interested in learning about meditation on the go you don't have to sit down for 20 minutes or anything like that i'm a great believer in making meditation available for anybody at any time it's not nearly as complicated as it seems very cool and may you all be blessed with the most ideal optimal blessings for all time thanks josh thanks You're welcome. Josh. bye-bye